0: are on the way to Hendersonville. I mean, uh, Cookville, Tennessee for Winthrop and Tennessee. We 10. go to
1: Hendersonville on every one of our trips. Well,
0: every trip that we go by Hendersonville. But that's every trip. Yeah, <laughs> every trip so far has been that way. People
1: talk about the way college basketball teams schedule, and you usually think you're looking for regional rivalries or games that you get a very large paycheck or mid-major games that you can win.
0: Winthrop just scheduled this year so that we can collect as many apples as frequently as possible. Dave's cupboard is going to be full of apples by the time we get back. I am Mike Pacheco. He is Dave Freeman. This is the Bearded Car Cast. Of course, the concept is simple. We do a lot of basketball games for Winthrop University. and This is the result of our conversations on the road and we're
1: going to Tennessee Tech University in Cookville, Tennessee. That is the hometown yeah. of Mac Brown who shockingly is once again employed. Back in the news. What a disaster. What is Bubba Cunningham thinking?
0: Okay. The good news is Dave was is- I was thinking the same thing when I heard the news over the weekend, and it broke fast. I mean, it was like...
1: They must have had him hired before they fired Larry Fedora. That's what which I Which is thought. really, yeah. really good work as an athletic administrator because if you're going to fire someone and you don't know who you can get, you might end up with someone worse than the guy you're getting rid of. So when you swiftly kick someone to the curb, you should have someone set up. The problem is the guy they have set up is 68 years old.
0: That, I will concede, is a negative. The positive though, Dave, and I I actually, I know you were on the road yesterday, I actually watched about 20, 25 minutes of the press conference Sure, he's energized I mean, he's Won the ready press conference. He did win gonna the press conference. Going to lose a
1: lot of football games. He, that's, Mike, well, he let, was let's see what Essentially retired yes. as the head coach at Texas. He did a terrific job at Texas for a long time. He won a national championship. He had really good players on his roster, but the last couple of years were awful. And then the years after he left, when he left, absolutely no players made you think that. He wasn't really working on the job. He wasn't spending the requisite time getting people into the school to play football at the highest level. North Carolina is a considerably more difficult job than Texas. They have less resources than Texas. And there's little reason, in my opinion, to think that this is going to be a success. Now, he has to hire a slam dunk, great staff. And maybe... Did they say in the press
0: conference how much money he's getting paid? I think... When they added everything up between the Learfield money, the Nike money, I think it was about $3.5 million. Yeah, that doesn't leave a
1: ton of room to have two of the highest-paid coordinators in the country because Matt Brown is not at his age going out and out-recruiting the best of the best. And he's going to need other people to go do that. Uh, I, I think this is a two- or three-year-and-done absolute mess. I've got a... Uh, We'll go over under seven wins in three years and a new coach
0: in three years from now. I would say this, and it, and it is dependent on the staff. He's got to get a whiz bang staff. I would if, if if I'm Bubba Cunningham, don't you think that they have to have a little bit of say in the coordinators in in that? If you have to have a
1: say as the athletic director in who is going underneath your head coach, you've hired the wrong head coach. No, but what Can I'm saying... Can you imagine no, but Ken no, 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 hold on. I know, I know, I know. Get, let me, let me talk be... for a minute.
0: What I'm saying is, I understand what you're saying. In this, if you're talking about a 35-year-old man, yes. This guy's 68, right? Now, there's no 10-year plan here. Not right? that we know of. Not that we know of. Well, I mean, it'd be unrealistic to think that he'd still be coaching at 78. So I think if you're the athletic director, maybe not have a say is the right word, but I think you would want to encourage Mac Brown to make sure he's hiring somebody that's um, like the next Lincoln Riley, you know, somebody that's, sure. that's going to be the – so that you can have some cohesion. I think this can work, um, but it's going to have to ha- – he's going to have to hire the right coordinators. And you're right, recruiting is going to be huge. But I think the one advantage that Mac Brown's going to have, Dave, is he already does have good relationships with North Carolina high school does coaches. Does he?
1: He was there 25 years ago. Who does he know that's still coaching high school
0: football? Well, he still knows um, – I mean, I don't know exactly who he knows. You know who
1: knows the guys coaching high school football? Scott Satterfield, who's won 80% of his games at App State, recruits the area, has been unbelievably successful, everybody likes,
0: and just got a new agent signaling, hey, I'm ready for the big job. But I think there's something that everyone's discounting about, and it it does bother me a little bit, um, and maybe it's because I'm older than you, but there is this, uh, in our society, this trend toward everything is better if it's younger. And I'm not saying that necessarily it can be wrong, but you have a guy in Mac Brown and like you said, Dave, he won the press conference. Now was that win games? No. He's gotta go out and do some things. But what he can do is he can I think he's the type of guy that if if I had a son that was eighteen years old, getting ready to play college and I was in North Carolina, high level recruit, and Mac Brown came in, I could see why he'd be successful in in convincing families why his kids should go to North Carolina. I'm Mr. Old Guy
1: Football. I love Andy Reid. Paul Pasqualoni, the defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, is my guy. When Pete got fired at Syracuse and five, six years later got hired at UConn, it was a mess. It's not an old man sort of job. It's a job that requires you to work 100 hours a week. Mac Brown wasn't doing that at Texas when he was losing at the end, and then subsequently lost his job. And this isn't to be like really poking the bear, but Mac Brown was horrible on TV in large part because I don't think he was working that hard. <laughs> I just don't see a guy that's putting his nose to the ground right. to to work a hundred hours at that age because in his last two jobs at ESPN and on. The Texas staff, he wasn't doing the things that are required to be really good at it.
0: But he has one advantage over every other coach in America. Old people remember him? No. The Blue Blood Carolina donors yep. wanted him. that That's exactly right.
1: That's the reason he's the head coach at North Carolina. But... We've had this discussion before. When it's the boosters that make the hire, you end up with the mess you have at Tennessee.
0: Yeah. The, but here's the thing, and it goes back, and I don't want to be a, a broken record here. He's going to have to be more of like the, and it didn't really work at the end for Bobby Bowden, but more of the CEO. And and, and that's why his, this thing's only going to work if he has really good people. A best
1: case situation is Bill Snyder at Kansas State. Snyder came back and, reinvigorated the program right. but the problem is seven eight ten years down the line into present time it is about to be a really messy divorce at kansas state bill wants his son to take over nobody thinks his son is very good at what he does the program has fallen to a great degree snyder's the legend the best coach the most important figure in the history of kansas state athletics a- and it's ugly i just don't see how this ends well
0: I think it's going to be, it's probably skewing more towards what you're thinking about. I don't think there's a middle ground. I think it either really works or it's a complete disaster.
1: Well, I mean, if he were to go, I don't know, six and six three years from now, if he went four and eight, six and six, six and six, and now you're going into his fourth year. And he's had a couple of kind of okay, pretty good years. Maybe he goes seven and five the second year. It's skewing right now. He's seventy-one years old, and you have a team just over five hundred. Is
0: that a win? Well, and I think the the one thing I think he sold, Bubba, and probably the trustees, and, and I'm not, uh, and I'm relaying what he said. This is not my opinion. Uh, he, I, th- he's he's convinced people there that they can win next year, like seven wins next year. I mean, if they win, seven, at least that's their goal. I mean, he's, okay,
1: let, let's say he's right, and I don't have any reason to believe he is. But let's say he's right, and they go seven and five next year. They make a ball game. Let's say they even win a ball game. They somehow win eight games. Now you've got momentum going to the next year. It, it, if you repeat that, you, you'd have to say he's being wildly successful. He's now gone eight and eight and five or two straight years. Then what? He's still
0: 70 years old. I know like you said there's no 10-year plan. Right, right. That what concerns me when I first heard that was was the you, you only hire a guy like that if you really think you can win in the next 3 or 4 or 5 years. Right. Right. And then and then you have to have some sort of succession plan. Right. I mean, it kind of feels to me like
1: this is North Carolina. We're a basketball school. We're going to appeal to our donors. It's not going to work, but it doesn't really matter. We'll go punt on this
0: and, and redo it in three years no, from now. I, you know what? You know what? The, and and I, I understand why you think that, Dave. I don't think they, they're thinking that. I, I really think that. Well, they're I think,
1: remembering the glory days. I know,
0: but see, that's the. I mean, that's the. That's the. I guess the promise and the negative of this thing, right? It's like people think that he's going to get North Carolina past where he got them before and and you know that's probably not 100 percent realistic um but the but the one thing he is bringing to these people is hope now if he doesn't bring that follow through on that hope it's going to be a, a blank show if bill
1: belichick retires at the end of this year and josh mcdaniels takes over and mcdaniels doesn't have a great deal of success do you hope they then replace him with romeo Crennel? This isn't apples to apples. No, it's not. I just think they're trying to go back into their history.
0: They are reaching for something that I don't think is there. No, that's possible. I, I think the one and, and this is this is the leap of faith I think people are the, the Carolina people are taking, the like people that are supporting this, you know, and I think the, the the selling point is, you know, well he's been out of the game, you know, he's he's been talking to coaches, so by doing these games he's he's been able to stay on top of you know trends and, and has a you know has at least some feel for how the game has changed now we don't know if that's true or not but I think that's what one of the selling points would be
1: yeah I mean and Scott Satterfield can say I've been up here winning four out of every five games I mean I, I like who is the example of the guy who left and came back or was out of the game for a while and came back and just hit a home run i mean for all the discussion about how valuable john gruden was and tennessee wanted him and three nfl teams wanted him the raiders stink yeah and and it seems to me when these guys come back after time off it sounds good i'm just not sure it it works with any sort of
0: consistency oh yeah who are the guys that have done that i mean dick Vermeil. Was out tick for meal that worked
1: out I mean tick for meal did work out. that that that's a really good example I, it takes us back quite a ways but it is a good example
0: it goes this thing goes to something that it's more of a coaching thing but I wonder if this applies to Dave like when you're we're at the point where if you're if you're gonna hand over a you know I mean let's face it this is a you know hundred million dollar worth property the, the football team right so are you gonna are you more and if you're an older Established, you know, trustee base. Are you more inclined to hand something like this over to somebody who's done it before, or are you willing to roll the dice on someone that is a coordinator and has maybe done it at a, at a higher level as a coordinator but has never been the head coach? I mean, different strokes for different folks, but
1: I, I think we've seen kind of consistently both work and we've seen both fail. It's about individuals, it's not necessarily. About about the resume. It's about fit. Yeah, it's about fit. But what the word fit means is unclear. Now, let me ask you this question. Who fits in the college football playoff? The four-team playoff will be announced on Sunday. The college football playoff rankings came out yesterday. And I don't think it's a significant surprise that it is Oklahoma – ahead of Ohio State, so essentially we've got Georgia playing Alabama in the SEC title game. Alabama, win or lose, is in. They have to
0: be in, win or lose.
1: I think Clemson is in, win or lose against Pitt, though if you lose to Pitt, that's a really bad loss.
0: Yeah, that looks bad.
1: Then you've got Notre Dame, whose season regular season is over, they're in. So you got three teams in. If Georgia were to beat Alabama or even maybe play very, very competitively, they would have a very good shot. But if things go as we think they are going to go, Alabama beats Georgia, and Clemson is in, they beat Pittsburgh, and Notre Dame is in, you're left with one spot for really probably Oklahoma and Ohio State. Now, if Oklahoma loses to Texas in the Big 12 championship game and Ohio State beats Northwestern, it's pretty easy at that point, unless Georgia plays really competitively against Alabama. But it appears based on the standings that if Oklahoma wins, Ohio State's boxed out.
0: And I don't think I, I don't have a problem with that. The the one I guess the one issue if you're Ohio State is, you know, I mean Oklahoma really plays one way. I mean they're just you know, but they're an offensive target, I mean they're good at what they do offensively. Um, but then Ohio State, I mean, they lose to Purdue. Yep, can't do that. They were, I mean, they almost lost to Maryland. I don't know almost losing
1: matters, but losing to Purdue, losing bad to Purdue, losing to a 6-6 six and six Purdue team, yeah. I, I mean, that's the worst loss of any team that maybe has contended to make right. the playoff. Because no team that's made the playoff in the limited sample
0: size we have has a loss like that. Well, and I think the, the team that is number five, Dave, is probably going to be ticked off that... Um, and I, and I'm, I'm just raising this. I'm not saying whether I agree or disagree with what I'm about to say. Uh, they'll be ticked off that Notre Dame didn't have to play in a conference championship game. But Notre
1: Dame played against 12 Division One teams, whereas everyone else played a 1AA. I think that's yeah. a, a lousy argument. I feel it terribly for central florida because i think this is actually the year they could make a very strong argument but mackenzie milton's out i mean if it is the three we expect if it's notre dame and clemson and alabama let's say alabama wipes the floor with georgia that eliminates georgia you've got sort of uninspiring oklahoma and ohio state if milton was healthy i think ucf would have an argument
0: right now what about Georgia? There, I mean, I, I I don't think they can be in with two losses. But I do. But no, but I mean, I, I don't know that the committee would do that. But don't you, I mean, I I think even if they were to lose to Alabama, they're still. I think they're the they're in that mix of four. I think. I mean, they'd be four in my in my, in my book. But I, I mean, I think they should be in. I, but if you know Oklahoma wins and Georgia loses, they're probably gonna get bounced out. I don't know. I think a Georgia tight loss to Alabama
1: is probably as inspiring maybe more confidence building than a tight win for Oklahoma for a second time against Texas. I mean, what's more impressive? No one has competed with Alabama the entire season. If Georgia neutral site goes in and plays really, really well, even if they don't win, are you then going to say, "No, they're not one of the four best teams in the country" when they've taken the the clear top yeah. team to the wire. Yeah,
0: No, I agree. I mean, I think Georgia should be in win or lose. I just don't think they will be.
1: I think if they play tight, they're going to be in. The really interesting thing about it is then how the seedings are going to break down because yeah. I do not think they are going to have a rematch in the first round of the playoffs between Alabama and Georgia. I think they're going to jerry rig it at that point, mm. and they're going to make Georgia three. Right. So it's going to be Alabama against um Whoever they downgrade, and then probably it goes Clemson, Georgia, or Notre Dame, Georgia. It's probably, yeah. I mean, Clemson's going to have to be one or two, and Alabama's going to have to be Be one or two. two. So it's probably Clemson, Georgia, Notre Dame, Dame, Alabama. Alabama,
0: Yeah, those would be good games. I mean, I'd be interested to see those.
1: Yeah, and speaking of what would be good games, we just were driving on. 85. As we twist our way now, switching freeways as we head towards Hendersonville, and then back on our favorite highway I-40, which we go on every <laughs> week.
0: Um, Shouldn't we have a stretch named after the Bearded Carcast? I, I thought know, we like, did. Like, we like don't like have this, that yet. Like, you know, like this next mile of I-40 is brought to you by the Bearded Carcast. Is
1: it going to be uh, right outside in Knoxville at that gas station you like so much oh by my the RV park? God.
0: Smelled like ten elephants went to the bathroom. There, <laughs> it's disgusting. That could be the bearded cart cast. Uh, that might be. Stre- or, oh, or would it be where we stopped to get that barbecue that we, we kind of just kind of lucked upon?
1: Yeah, that was good too. That was kind of in rural Tennessee. That was before. That was before. Before, yeah. before we got to Knoxville. So, so we we saw a, a sign though on eighty five today that said, "Buy three ACC championship tickets, get a fourth for free," and that leads me to believe what I think we could have guessed already that there's not a whole lot of interest in Clemson and Pitt.
0: No, and I think that's the the one fear that, you know, I think that they have, uh, the organizers of this, is when you have, you know, and this is no disrespect to my uh, my homeland, but um, I, mean, I didn't go to B.C., but you know, I grew up following it and working there eventually. But, um, you know, I think, you know, B.C.-Virginia Tech back in the day, in the early days of the ACC, I mean, those was competitive games, but they didn't really sell out Raymond James Stadium. Um, and then when they moved the games here, they, I think they felt like you know, Florida State, Miami, yep, you know, um, and neither of those programs have really gotten back to where they they were in their heyday. So, but but that and that's the risk you take. Um, but then the flip side of it though, Dave, is I mean, geographically, it still probably makes sense for Charlotte to host. Yeah, um, it's just a bad game. It's just, but you I mean, you obviously you're you're
1: you're stuck with what the matchups are. I mean on Saturday, Winthrop doesn't play on Saturday, so we're going to have an opportunity, if we want to, to watch football. Totally 100% locked in for Texas-Oklahoma. Maybe a play-in game for Oklahoma. That's at noon. Totally 100% locked in for at least the first half of Georgia-Alabama, and assuming it's a, a good game the rest of the way. My interest in Hit and Clemson, you know, wake me up if it's competitive at the start of the fourth quarter, because I'm not anticipating that's going to be the case. Interest level in Utah, Washington, maybe less than zero. Like, absolutely no reason whatsoever to turn that game on television. Th- these championship games, Mike, what's the point?
0: Well, the bigger question is, and um, you know, it- are these games? I don't know. With with the with I know with the playoff system, are they better off doing the um, the championship game? Or are they just doing better off doing twelve games and then start the playoffs?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think anyone that's looking at it from a fan standpoint says, "Well, would you rather see UCF and Alabama this week, or would you rather in a playoff game in in Tuscaloosa?" Or would you rather watch Northwestern and Ohio State? Who wants to watch Northwestern yeah. and Ohio I'm, State? I'm, I'm with
0: you. I would rather I would rather cut out the championship game and then go to like an expanded playoff. Right. I mean, and, and the
1: championship game are a huge money grab. I understand that. But an extra round of playoffs would be yeah. much, much, much greater revenue. Yeah. No doubt about it. I think the problem comes from the SEC, right? I mean, they don't want to split the pie up Evenly, because their championship game makes more money, their championship game gets more eyeballs, their championship game sells out. So now, if they have to split that five or six different ways,
0: why would they want to do that? No, it's not in their. It's not in their interest at all to do that. I mean, let's face it. I mean, their their championship game is almost. Well, I mean, it's basically a, a semifinal or a quarterfinal playoff game.
1: Yeah. I mean, their championship game might get two teams in the playoffs. Yeah. The Pac-12 championship game guaranteed is going to get zero teams in the playoffs. So they control the best property and therefore it's worth the most amount of money and they don't want to chop it up. This is why college football needs a commissioner, because we consistently see decisions made that are Good for Alabama's pocketbook, but not actually good for anybody else.
0: Well, and that's like the Notre Dame contract. I mean, that's good for Notre Dame, but it doesn't really benefit anybody else with NBC. Yeah. I mean, if you can have a national product that
1: a million people watch every Saturday, then that that's a good deal. Although I will say this.
0: I guess it does benefit. Uh, I mean, the only other teams that benefit from it, I suppose, would be when they play like a Troy State that will get, you know, kind of that primetime exposure on it. But Notre Dame
1: doesn't really play those teams. I mean, look at their schedule. They play the military academies, and then they play Stanford and USC. Then they play their group of ACC opponents. Actually, they yeah, play the Michigan. group of ACC
0: opponents is kind of some of those lesser they, opponents. But,
1: but they rarely have played those. If you look at yeah. Notre Dame's traditional scheduling, they do play lesser opponents, but those lesser opponents tend to be— S- Still tend to be Power 5 or— power five or some team with with you know that they play army and that, and that yeah. and that's a good game no, it's, a, good mean, game. it's yeah. a traditional yeah. game that notre dame's schedule should not be mocked or, or or chopped up for every game that alabama plays against Furman and they play a couple of those a year that that that's not what yeah. that's not what happens with with notre dame no, notre dame poses its own set of issues that's not one of them. Their, their schedule is just fine. Their their non-conference win over Michigan this year is the reason they're in the playoff. Usually USC is good. Stanford has been good. The ACC oftentimes has pretty good teams. I, I I don't think there's any issue with that schedule. That being said, I think they're going to get blown out by
0: whoever they play. Yeah, I don't think... I'm, that's my concern is that they're going to get in there and I think they've earned the right to be in hundred percent. Um, but I just I don't know that. I, I, they'll be competitive, but I don't know if I don't know if they get out of the first round. I mean, there is
1: either one or two really high end teams this year. If you expand the playoffs to three, I think Notre Dame is pretty obviously that team. You go four or five sure Ohio State Oklahoma you go even further you're going to get you know a Pac-12 champion who's not particularly good you're going to get your Cinderella and UCF an opportunity but I mean the way this bracket ought to stack up this year is Alabama by Clemson place Notre Dame winner plays Alabama yeah. I and mean, that, that that's what it should be but that you know that that's not the most money uh hungry way of going about it and the eight team playoff Gives you your Cinderella. Gives every one of the five Power Conference teams an opportunity. Gets you a second SEC team. Has room for an at-large in Notre Dame. I mean, I, I just don't know how you knock that eight-team playoff as the commissioner. I get it. How if you're Greg Sankey, you don't want it. Right. No. I mean, but I think the fan, the fan. I, I think it's a home run for everybody. I do too. And, and it's ridiculous. The the student athletes are taxed too much in the classroom. Well, here's the thing. You just get rid of the championship game, it's no problem. If you don't want to get rid of the championship game, that's okay too. Get rid of the Furman game. Get rid of the game against, uh, you know, uh, Florida A&M. I mean, the SEC could just get rid of that game and still play a championship game. It would be just fine.
0: And most of, the, most of the playoff games would come after finals anyway. So, I mean, I don't know that you're really missing uh, student time. Yeah, I, I think it's a nonsense argument. Dave, have you heard of Nickers? Nickers? Well, isn't that what Payne Stewart used to wear? No, no. Nickers is a uh, Holstein Friesian cow uh, from Australia, and it is six foot four. Wow, does it have any eligibility left? It does not have any. El- I don't know. If, does it have
1: a sigma back move? I don't know. Tennessee Tech's pretty big, though. They are pretty big. I think. I think we could use that. Did you know Tennessee Tech has won the Ohio Valley Conference tournament just once? But it happened in the '60s when they played the tournament before the regular season. Oh right, yeah. So they didn't make the NCAA so they tournament. They didn't make the NCAA tournament. It yeah. actually was like one of their worst years. They were they were like eight games under 500, but they won the tournament before the season
0: began. You know, and I know we'll we'll get into this uh, a lot on the broadcast, uh, but what an interesting story. Um, Now I can't remember the guy. Johnny Vassar. Johnny Vassar, yeah. The point guard at Tennessee
1: Tech was a top 100, top 150 recruit and went to four different high schools and went to Northwestern right as Chris Collins was getting there. But well,
0: Collins recruited him, so
1: he, was, he right. was technically
0: in that first class. Right,
1: he was in the first recruiting class. He yes. was the last guy signed by Collins in his first recruiting class. And things didn't work out, as they frequently don't work out for guys. And either he exacerbated a situation that wasn't so good, or...
0: Well, I think an important part of the story, Dave, and this is nothing against Johnny Vassar, um, but at coming in, he went to four different high schools.
1: Right. That's what I said.
0: No, oh, I didn't hear you say it. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, usually I'm the one that doesn't listen. <laughs> this is a real change of roles. <laughs> I'm Dave. Hey, I'm Mike. It is Dave, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so he we went to four high schools. Did, did we mention he went to four different schools before going
0: to college? Did we mention that? Yeah, four different but, ones. No, what you didn't mention is he started out at Lawrence Academy.
1: Right. In and Massachusetts. Right, and th- those schools were all over the country. He yeah. ended up at uh, Junipero Serra High School in Northern I mean, literally, California. literally,
0: it was like one in California, one yeah. in Massachusetts, one in Georgia, and one in Illinois. Right. Or Indiana. So he ends up going to Northwestern. And his
1: freshman year, he doesn't play a whole lot. And he has a couple of issues with the coaches. And there are kind of uh, contrasting reports on who had the issues and how serious those issues were. And come the end of the year or close to the end of the year, he's not playing a whole lot. And Northwestern is recruiting other guys, but they don't have any scholarships open for the next year. And it certainly would be in their best interest to get that scholarship back. And it is implied that he's not going to get a lot of playing time the next year, and it might be in his best interest to go elsewhere. Is that a fair summary?
0: Yes. I mean, it, it started out as, hey, you know, we know you really like to play basketball, and you really have a love for the game. Let's let's you know let's help you go somewhere that you can um, you can play more. Right. That's how kind of how it started out.
1: And he ends up feeling as though Northwestern is trying to run him out. Right. Which I mean, the, the story we both read is, is kind of one sided. It tells his side of the story. Right. He has subsequently sued the NCAA. I mean, that that that's probably getting the
0: cart before the horse. Yeah. He doesn't
1: leave. Right. He, he refuses to sign the documents he's not going to transfer he's although not he did leave. on
0: Twitter acknowledge um, igno- so he no he, he signed the the first step of transferring which was allowing other co- other t- other schools to contact you right and then I think when the university kind of jumped so he signs that the university in his opinion jumps the gun and says hey this guy's getting ready to transfer yeah they put out we a press wish him release. well and then so then he put out something because he kind of felt like he had to get in front of it Um, so he said, Hey, you know, I really want to thank, you know, Chris Collins, Northwestern, blah, 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 blah. And then it was after that that he kind of dug in and and realized he didn't want to go. Right.
1: And apparently he didn't have to go. What I found extraordinarily interesting about the story, Mike, is my understanding has always been scholarships are one year Mm -hmm. and they're renewable. But the way that this scholarship was structured was unless he, Violated one of the four, five, six terms of the scholarship, they couldn't get rid of him without him saying, "I'm leaving." Yeah, and he refused to say, "I'm leaving."
0: Yeah, that's basically what happened.
1: So eventually, they shifted him from an athletic scholarship to an academic scholarship, which he protested and didn't like. The one of the reasons he wouldn't leave was he didn't want to sit out a
0: year he didn't want to lose a year of eligibility plus he didn't want that stigma of having been to four schools in high school make it look like you know he's just you know a, a perennial transfer
1: right so then he sued northwestern and sued the ncaa essentially saying they didn't have any right to uh take a scholarship away and if he transferred, because he had really high scholarship offers. He had offers at like UNLV mm-hmm. and a couple of Power Five schools, but they said, we're only taking you if you don't have to sit out a year. Right. So he sued um, to not have to sit out the year. The litigation is pending. He lost the initial suit against the NCAA, but has re issued it or or is
0: well, basically they 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 realized that they were working to win in a federal court it was it was in they started in federal court and now they've shifted and, and done it uh in the state of illinois right and refiled it as a state claim
1: and meanwhile he graduated from northwestern in three years and as a grad transfer could transfer to tennessee tech without losing a year and now he's playing for tennessee tech who plays winthrop tonight
0: Right. Well, and you're leaving out kind of the, a big piece of the story, too. Is so, um, It's a
1: really complicated story. I'm very interested very in how we're going to tell this story on the air in a concise way
0: without missing six possessions. I know. <laughs> well, because then there's an element of, um, you know, the the allegation is that the, the school is trying to run him off. And there was also, um, and he has documentation of this, um, that it looks like, you know, potentially there were some falsified documents trying right. to... Uh, uh, basically what the the university wanted to do was shift him off the uh, athletic side and just give him an academic scholarship and get him out of the way and and the long story short is that's eventually what happened
1: yes but in between there was an intermediate step where he was still on athletic scholarship but they were making him work right. eight hours
0: yes. a week which and they, they were having him do like manual labor like he was blowing leaves and painting lines on fields and, and stuff like that and they were alleging that he, that he wasn't fulfilling the the terms of that.
1: Right, and then there were some time cards that supposedly he submitted and he didn't submit them properly and he wasn't working enough hours, but he spelled his name wrong on the
0: time cards. Well, what's funny about that is, because, I mean, again, the Vice story is pretty one-sided, but, I mean, when you match it up, and I'm not a handwriting expert, but when you match up what was there and what uh, his handwriting was, I mean, it didn't seem to me to be the same handwriting.
1: Right. So, You know, who knows what happened in between. And you know what this all plays into, Mike? It plays into the FBI scandal. Mm. And it's not exactly the same, but it's a dirty sport. And it needs cleaning up. And there need to be clear-cut rules. Either you have a guy for four years, and if he decides to change schools, so be it. Or you're allowed to run people off after a year but there just seems to be a murky gray area in everything and that that creates major problems
0: yeah i mean and then you throw in is it fair that a coach can leave at any time but a a player is forced to sit out that extra year i i I don't know you know it's why do you have to sit out a year i what like my my uh recollection and interpretation is it's um Basically to protect the school because um, to prevent, I think it's kind of used as a reverse, I don't want to say incentive, but it, it, somebody that really wants to play, maybe having to sit out that year would, would kind of keep them in in not wanting to sit out, kind of like what happened with, with Johnny Vassar.
1: I just I, like I get the argument that if everyone could transfer every year, you have free agency. Right. But we kind of have that now. Yeah. I think forty percent of players transfer as is. Yeah. And if you're not happy in place A and you can go to place B, le- like any other student can do that. Well, and I think like, it's also coach looked at,
0: Can do that. I think it's looked at the wrong way. I mean, we look at it as a one-way deal. Um, like oh you we know, do you know, you know the schools kind of playing it like well you know we we'll, you know we could be rated we could lose a lot of people but the flip side of that is to your point Dave if you make a more of an open market then um, and then take away uh, I would take away the the sitting out from Division two to Division one
1: yeah I just think like I I get the you've got a really good player at Asheville and now he's playing at Louisville and if you don't make him sit a year maybe he thinks about it even more yeah but in the end like if you're trying to do what's best for people like if you're a really good coach you're rick bird at belmont your players stick around i how many guys transfer from bob mckillop's program at davidson like like those guys stay because they like this school and they like the coach and they like the athletic department like If part of being a coach means you're constantly recruiting your own players and when players come into your program, you treat them right and they have
0: a good experience, they're going to stick around. But also, how can you, um, you know, and this is nothing against UNC Asheville, but if a kid has a really bang-up year, and we've seen this a lot, a bang-up year at Asheville and, you know, a Duke or a North Carolina or an Arizona or a Marquette comes calling – how do you deny that student that opportunity to, to experience, a, a, you know, a, a different academic experience and, and go to, to have a, a, a good athletic experience?
1: Yeah, I agree. And if you go to Asheville and you have a great year on the floor, but you also have a great year off the floor, you like the classes, you like the place, you like the coaches, you are treated well you're going to think twice before transferring. Now, sure, you get a chance to go to Louisville, they got way more resources or Marquette yep. or whatever it is. Yeah, well, that, that that's the choice we all face. I mean, everyone that is really successful at some point has had to weigh their options with careers. Mm-hmm. So that there's something in door number two right. that you can go chase. And sometimes that decision is it's too good an offer not to try. But sometimes the decision is I'm really happy where I am and that might be better and it might not, but I'm treated well and I'm compensated well and I like it here and I'm comfortable and I'm going to stay here. No doubt about it.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it.
1: Speaking of staying here, it seemed as though the Carolina Panthers were going to stay in the playoff bracket, stay in contention, right up until three weeks ago. Now things are spinning in the wrong direction. You cover the Panthers, you watch every game. What's going on?
0: You have two hours. I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's it's interesting. There is the 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 easy answer, Dave, is is that the defense is not. Um, the defense is not performing at the level that I think everyone thought this defense was going to coming into the season. Um, and it reared itself on Sunday. And it's probably oversimplifying it because um, the Detroit game, they should have, i mean, that was a the game they had. They should have won. They should have won that game.
1: Right. But they should have lost
0: They're, the Philly game that they won. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, those, but they, but those they 50-50 but, no, 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 no. The 50-50 game is the Washington game. The, the, the Washington-Philadelphia sure. game was the wash. That's fair. Detroit's the game they should have won. And frankly... I think they should have won Sunday. They should have. They definitely should have won Sunday. Um, and then you also saw a little bit of depth issues at the cornerback position when Dante Jackson went down. Um, and that, that didn't help. And then Russell Wilson just pulled a Russell Wilson and played really well in the second half. You know, they had three three-and-outs in the first half. Had pretty good pressure. Um it was a game, Dave. That uh, the Panthers did not punt and still lost the game. That's
1: amazing. I mean, that, that's incredible. They just didn't cash in when they were in the red zone.
0: No, and I would say this. It, it looked to me like, um, like between the twenties, they were extremely creative. And then when they got inside the the goal line or inside the ten, they decided they wanted to be smash mouth. And I know, I, like they, um, I don't know. I, I think that could have been a little bit more. Uh, creative early on, and you know if they score, they score in the first two possessions like they should have because they had the ball inside the twenty um, touchdowns. I mean, they got one field goal out of it, and then they had a, a uh, they lost it on downs um, trying to go for it. I'm Mister. You have to have
1: perspective, take a step back. I think the Panthers are significantly better than we've seen the last few weeks. Yep. They're six and five. Yep. They're right in the playoff race, yep. but I hate the spot they're in, yeah. because the head-to-head losses to other teams in the exact same position put them just in an awful spot, come tiebreakers, and oh, by the way, they've got five games left, and two of them are against New Orleans. Right,
0: and they, and, and, and you put the nail on the head, Dave. We talked about the Washington and Seattle game. Those two teams right now are squarely... Um, You know, if it came down to a three-way tie between those two, the Panthers lose the head-to-head.
1: Right. And down the stretch, there are five games left. Panthers and Seattle are in the same spot. But because the Panthers lost to Seattle, they're one back. And while the Panthers play New Orleans twice, Seattle plays San Francisco twice.
0: Well, they put themselves in a position where they almost have to win out. and I mean, to kind of control your own destiny, if you will. Um, I mean,
1: there are two spots available. There there are two playoff spots open. There are four division winners, and then there are two wild-card spots. And and no one's running away with a wild-card. But I thought Minnesota was pretty good on Sunday night. They're already a half game ahead of Carolina. So if the Panthers win four, you need two losses from Minnesota to get that spot or two losses from Seattle. Now, none of these teams are world beaters, but I, I don't think three and two does. I think the Panthers have to win four games. If you split with New Orleans, that means the other three games are stone cold locks. Who are those three against, Mike? The um, the which three? The three games the Panthers play that are not against. Oh, the so they have
0: um, they have Tampa Bay, Cleveland, and Atlanta. Gotta all be wins. Oh, don't doubt about it.
1: Is Atlanta at home or on the road? Atlanta's at home.
0: Yeah. That, is that this week? So they got um, they actually have three on the road. So they have the next two on the road, which are at, um, at Tampa Bay first and then at Cleveland. And then they have uh, New Orleans at home. Then they have Atlanta at home. Then they're at New Orleans to end the season.
1: So if you win the next two weeks, maybe you win two out of three down the stretch against good competition and you get there not impossible no it's I, not I, I just think your odds have gone down dramatically after the last couple weeks
0: no you, they went from being in the driver's seat to putting themselves where they're almost going to have to need help to get in
1: yeah well I think that's exactly right they yeah. do not control their own destiny yeah. I think if they win out they can still easily miss the playoffs because the Saints still catch them in the division or can catch them in the division and Seattle Controls the tiebreaker, and Washington controls no. the tiebreaker. Now that being said, if Washington were to win out, they would win the division. So th- th- there is a little bit of wiggle room. I just think they're in a really tight spot.
0: Yeah.
1: Speaking of the NFC playoff race, the Redskins made an addition this
0: week. You know what? I don't even want to talk about this. This is so <laughs> infuriating. You know, it's what do they think? Uh, Ruben Foster, right? I mean, what was it? I mean, not countless domestic and other issues in San Francisco, right? Finally, they cut him, and then w- less than twenty-four hours, he's claimed by the Redskins. Now, the Redskins have since uh, said, well, we're we're not going to play him until any kind of." You know, litigation happened. Right? You know, the the works way through the courts. They
1: had to know that was coming, too. Yeah, you had to know that he was going to be suspended or put on the whatever it is, the temporary inactive list. So, what is the point? You're bringing him in, maybe to to either have him at the
0: end of the year or to look at him next year. But that's a move where it's like we're not even pretending anymore, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, you can say all you want about. You know, we're supporting all this and that and the other thing, but, I mean, let's face it. The, the only thing that really gets you blackballed from the NFL is if you sue them and don't, st- you know, <laughs> or if you don't stand up for the anthem. I, I just,
1: like, I was very surprised. I, I mean, from a PR standpoint, it just seems like a
0: killer. Now, but, but Dan Snyder is the guy that's going to make that move, right? I mean, it's either him or Al Davis or uh, Jim, uh, Jerry, Jerry Jones. Jones.
1: I mean, I guess, though, at the end of the year, I, I don't think anyone believes he's never going to play another down in the NFL. And, and I think it's easy to think that maybe he's an impact player. So maybe if you're going to take a PR blow, you take it now and you secure the guy because in the offseason there might be competition for him?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I
1: It just... It was so stunning to read about another off-field incident and a very serious one, and
0: then. But this guy has a history. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not an isolated event. You know. What I mean. Exactly. It, not to say that an isolated event is any better, but, I mean, at least you can make the case of it's an isolated event. Maybe it didn't happen, or maybe. But now you got a track record. I mean, it just. It, it, I don't know. You're trying to. It's just frustrating to me because it's. You know, it goes against. I mean, I think it's a good football move. It's a good football move, but you know, what, what what's to say that, okay, maybe he makes it through the legal process, gets cleared again. What's to say he's not gonna, it's not going to happen next year? Nothing. You know, I mean.
1: But you do believe he's going to play again because that, that's what we do. We give second and third and fourth chances. Right, right.
0: Well, but
1: he's on, like, his fifth chance, isn't he? I, I I guess. I mean, he's only been in the league a couple of years. I, I I just, mean,
0: but he's already had, like, two or three suspensions, yeah, right?
1: Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I mean. If he's gonna get another chance though, I understand. But I, I don't know that I think he's gonna play this year, so then you're just kinda of looking at it in the off season. It just it,
0: it came across as I, I, I was surprised. All right Dave, for uh I don't know we, we probably should wrap this thing up cause we're almost in Hendersonville. That's right. I mean,
1: this trip to cookville doesn't have quite the hype as the Nashville or the
0: Lexington trips. Yeah. We didn't,
1: we didn't talk Mike cause we were on our way to Lexington during the last podcast. That is such a fun oh, trip.
0: That was a great, you know, Lexington, you and I both had the opportunity, um, well, I went there actually outside of minor league baseball, but we went there with minor league baseball when I was with Canapolis, We played Lexington. Of course, you were in Hickory, and you played there. and You know, got to see Lexington as, uh, you know, really neat, fun town. But the, the the trip to Lexington that we made was even more special because we got to go to Lane's End Farm, and you did a great job setting that up. And, you know, we got to uh, – actually, Zenyatta got to meet us, I think is probably the better way to – That's to, not to really play.
1: the way I see it. <laughs> I think we got to meet AP Indian <coughs> Zenyatta and several other uh, several other, yeah. very, very high-end racehorses. Zenyatta is arguably the greatest female racehorse of all time. She yeah. won 17 or 19 in a row. She won the Breeders' Cup Classic. She won kind of all of the big races made a zillion dollars, and now she's she's hanging out. She's yeah. just hanging out as a mayor at, at Lane's End Farm, and they've got their stallions, and some have been very, very, very successful, and AP Indy kind of Built the place, 29 years old, and now he's just in his retirement. But it was it was such a a fun look at the industry, and and more than anything, that the animals are just so beautiful.
0: They're they're graceful and uh, such you know such power and grace and beauty. And Keeneland was was uh, and again that's something that you and I did independent of our baseball stuff. Um, but it was it was fun to get back at Keeneland. And what's interesting is, you know, people think of Keeneland as uh, just being a racetrack. And it's probably one of the most beautiful um, racetrack building, like, facilities. It just, it's, you know, that old stone, and it just it doesn't look like a racetrack. But there's so many different things um, happening there beyond just, the horse races that happen twice a year.
1: Well, the sales are really what Keeneland is known for because they they have some of the highest end sales in the world. Then they have their two boutique meets, their three-week meet in the spring, three-week meet in the fall. Really, when you look at horse racing, and you know this is one of my favorite things, you've got the three meets Saratoga in upstate New York and Keeneland in Lexington and Del Mar in Southern California those are the three really boutique high-end meets and then you've got your three or four or five Santa Anita's and Churchill Downs and Gulfstream parks that are really day in day out tracks where there's pretty good racing and then there's everything else but keeneland is it's beautiful and it's iconic and it's right in the heart of bluegrass country every time i've ever been there i always think it's crazy you don't see it from the road it's yeah. right across the street from the airport yeah. but it's built in such a way that you don't know it's there unless you're looking for it and then it, you just see the rolling hills yeah. and we saw horses working out in the morning it, it's a great spot
0: and it was almost like driving into a state park instead yep. of going to a race park yeah, or, that's a race, a, or a race course.
1: That's a really track. good way of, of looking at it. And, and it's open to the public, and it's a National Historic it Landmark, is. and you can go to the backside, and you just kind of feel yourself there if you're in lexington it it's very much worth a couple of hours to stop by
0: and you got to go to the uh the, the trackside restaurant or not trackside. what's it called the, the yeah race, something like the that, that like the diner, yeah. the diner yeah yeah it was pretty good
1: yeah it was good it was it's a good stuff it's a good spot it's it was it was a really fun trip and went there played pretty well didn't win but played pretty well at rep arena and, and, and that's another one of those places like we go to a lot of different venues that one is special
0: Well, outside of, I mean, let's face it, the basketball is great. There's history there, all those great Kentucky teams. We could sit here for 10 minutes and talk about just that. To me, what's amazing is, I don't know, 500,000 people stayed in the stands after the game to watch uh, Coach Calipari do his post-game radio show, which was really more like a, a 15, 20-minute one-man show with two commercial breaks.
1: I didn't love the part where he was signing autographs during the show, <laughs> throwing basketballs right. back and forth to fans. I thought that was really annoying right until a fan hit my laptop with a basketball. That part I didn't love.
0: You didn't love, yeah.
1: I, I didn't love, and I was pretty concerned that I was going to have a, uh, a major issue, and, and I didn't, so you that did. was that was fortunate.
0: Well, and then uh, hopefully, uh, you know, check our social media channels because uh, I know we're going to do a, a couple of hits from downtown Cookville. Ah, oh,
1: historic. Downtown Cookville.
0: You know you know how much Dave and I like trains, so we'll uh, we'll have a nice little spot there. And you can follow along uh, at Bearded Carcast on Twitter. I am at Mike Pacheco 81 Dave is uh, at Friedman underscore Dave. And you can email us, Carcast at Outlook.com. Thanks for listening.